Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. We're the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's who we are. That's It's what we yeah, do. It's what, what's been done. It's what we do and what's been done. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the game. All, <laughs> it's in the game. Um, we are um, always classic, never classy. We are seldom classy, always classic. It's the same thing you just said. I just reversed it slightly and modified it. It's that meme where the person's like, hey, can I see your homework? It's like, yeah, sure. Just don't <laughs> copy it completely. That's what I did. Ah, I see. It's kind of like how I navigated most of my schooling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, same. So, <laughs> well, just in case any of our professors or teachers are listening to us, we should oh, move parents. on to our parents. We should move on to the, we should move on to the beginning, which is uh, Seth. What have you been recently playing? What's been the the game of your choice? Uh, So the game that I've been recently been playing is a game called Traveler's Rest. It is a game that is in uh, early access and came out July 28th of 2020, where you play as an innkeeper who is has a tavern that or in that's situated on a roll a road to adventure so as you you so essentially you are the tavern keeper and innkeeper for adventurers so people will come into your inn they will eat your gruel and drink your slop and then they uh then they leave and while they're in your inn they make a mess and you have to clean up after them or sometimes they get rowdy and you have to kick them out and it's an interesting type of game that's uh, very similar to Graveyard Keeper, Stardew Valley, those type of games where you have to like build, design, research, and uh, like create and craft things. So in order to serve like an ale, like a good ale, you have to buy ingredients and you have to brew the ale and you have to wait for it to brew and you have to then bring it and keg it and then bring the keg up to the tap. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, you can keep the inn open during the times that you're doing stuff in the background. But if you leave the inn for too long, things kind of go go awry because they'll either get too cold. So you have like a fire they have to keep going or the, the inn will get too dirty and they'll complain and you will lose reputation. So the objective is to uh, get as much reputation as you can by having the best inn experience uh, available for these wayward adventurers. And it's fun. Actually, it's funny. I ended up playing that game and then feeling really inspired to play Graveyard Keeper because oh. of it. Because they're very similar type of uh, games. And so and I know I just talked about Graveyard Keeper since I've been playing that game too so they uh yeah it's a good it's a good game traveler's rest uh it's by a, a developer called luku and uh published by metaboli publishing kind of uh smaller indie developers but yeah so it's it's great uh so i recommend if you like those type of uh games that are like Stardew Valley or Graveyard Keeper, I recommend checking out Traveler's Rest and seeing if you would enjoy it as well. It's a lighter type of game, but it's also like very similar type of graphics to like Stardew Valley, where it's like kind of like 8-bit type of graphics. Yeah, yeah. I like games like that. I mean, I'm a big fan of that style, so I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Yeah, definitely. What about you? What have you been most recently been playing? So the game I've been most recently playing is a game called No Man's Sky. 
Die, which was uh, originally released in 2016, but has received numerous updates since 2016. So No Man's Sky was developed by a company called Hello Games. It was also published by a company called Hello Games. And it is an exploration survival game. And it, it is an indie game. So that I think that point should be made. <laughs> it is yes. uh, you know developed by an indie company. Um, it was developed on an indie budget, and uh, it was very it was very ambitious for what what they wanted to go for. Um, Perhaps Molinude. Yeah, it was almost, yeah Molinude, if you would. So the game was uh, is a open universe. I, I don't even want to say open world because it's more than one world. It's procedurally generated, and the universe will actually generate with up to eighteen quintillion planets, which is ridiculous to think about um but the way it has the procedural generation system uh, actually allows for each planet to have its own unique ecosystem with its own unique flora and fauna and uh, various sentient alien species that may engage um, the player in combat and trade um so overall it's a it's a very ambitious game and what it's set out to do and it managed to do a lot of these things but with any game of this ambition it was kind of plagued with i think overhype um, a lot of people were expecting it to do more than what it could and even the founder of hello games one of the lead creators of the game sean murray actually had to go on record and try to get people to not be as hyped for the game essentially try to like play it down a bit but that did not really deter people. It, it ended up generating a little bit of controversy on release due to some of the issues that happened. But since release, the game has been updated with plenty of uh, bug fixes and um, some new compatibility things that were added and different things such as uh, VR support, which was added right. for the game, as well as cross-platform support. So if I if I have it on PlayStation 4 and Seth has it on PC, we can actually play together using oh. a cl- cross-platform um setting and we could both play in vr we should do that yeah we could we could both play in vr because you have the you have the um the vive and i have my psvr yeah that that could be fun and also hilarious i've played it in vr it's fun it's interesting so i so i have a a limited space for my vr setup which makes playing vr games difficult right and in order to i essentially cheated my vr space and if you're familiar with VR, how it works is that you actually, well, how the Vive works is you have these emitters that you put on two different sides of your room, and you actually have to map out your room that you designate as your VR play area. And then the game will put up borders in the game so that you don't accidentally cross your barrier and this has because i had to kind of cheat the space in order to have a minimum size area to play i have have had numerous accidents where i have collided with yes objects such as doors and bookcases while playing um various vr games i actually don't know if i got damaged while playing no man's sky but <laughs> i definitely got damaged by playing other vr games yeah but yeah it's it's fun i i really like the ship part versus the exploration part for vr i think yeah the ship- is done it's like piloting the ship is done really well the exploration i think is a teleport system which is okay yeah i'm not sure it might be done a little differently on on ps4 because i think you can actually use the aim controller for the ps4 version which is a a gun shaped controller that just has oh cool analog sticks on it so uh yeah i've been enjoying no man's sky i haven't gotten a chance to do the vr yet but maybe someday soon seth and i will do a little vr off 
in no man's sky between the two of us and who knows we can probably stream that it'd be a fun to set up to do a stream but i'm sure it's possible yeah i think we can do a, a vr stream yeah uh, maybe we'll try and do one uh eventually um maybe in the next couple of months or so yeah, no promises because we're not uh we're not really uh we don't really have a schedule yes. when it comes to that sort of thing. Yes, we're we we are we are very. It, what is the saying? If there's something that we should do, we don't. We we're we're very bad at doing things, especially with other channels beyond making a podcast on every Sunday. We're very good at that. So today we are going to drift into a different um, sort of topic than what we've been talking about the past few episodes. Um, we're actually going back to a theme that we had um, prior, where we talked about video game consoles and their development in their history. So we talked about in the past, for those of you who are just joining us and those of you who have short uh, memories, we talked about the Nintendo Entertainment System, the Sega Genesis, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, the N64, the PlayStation, and the Atari 2600. And today... We're not really good at going in order. Well, I was almost in order and I kind of like fell off a little bit. Um, And today we are talking about the Sega Dreamcast, which was Sega's last system that they released before eventually falling off into the world of third-party developers. Uh, So Seth, give us, I guess, a summary of some of your memories of the Dreamcast. So I I think that it's interesting. Also, we are skipping over the Saturn. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not we will cover the Saturn eventually. The Dreamcast. So I actually had two friends in middle school who owned Dreamcasts. Yeah. uh, Which was uh, a rarity. Uh, Not many people had Dreamcasts. No. Uh, That was primarily people. It's usually the problem when it comes to sales. I had one friend who had a Saturn, and then I had two friends that had a Dreamcast. The primarily people had N64s or uh, the PlayStation. And in my circle of friends, it was pretty much dominated by N64s. So I, I did have two friends that had the Sega Dreamcast. One friend, I remember going over his house and we played some Crazy Tasks Taxi, which I think I've played more of in the arcade than I did on his Dreamcast because Crazy Taxi is also an arcade cabinet. And then my the other friend, uh, whose name was actually Ryan, but not any of the Ryans that uh, are currently in my circle of friends. An abundance of Ryans. <laughs> An abundance of Ryans. He really liked Shenmue. Okay. Which was a exclusive game on the Dreamcast. Or, yeah. Well, not anymore, but was. Was, yeah, yeah, time. yeah. Yeah. I don't think Sega wants you to buy it on the dreamcast anymore but yeah if you can help it <laughs> yeah he was really big into shemu and i think it was f- funny because he he talked a lot about how like shemu was like a really big deal and how it was a really fun game but it was on the dreamcast and i was like well who who owns a dreamcast <laughs> like how do i play how do i play this game and i remember it having um so before the wii u came out where it had a console and then a television screen in your controller the dreamcast did it first where you had a console and then you had a little i don't know like a little tamagotchi screen yeah type the, deal. yeah the the lcd screen of the vmu um, which was yes. a memory card and it was it could also play like little small games on it like snake and stuff like yeah that, right? yeah so that was I, I always i always thought it was an interesting looking system 
but I, I, I never really had any desire to own it. But it was going uh, up against some pretty big, big names like N64 and PlayStation. Yeah. And it was also, I think, coming later into the into the generation as well. Yeah. So um, we'll, we'll talk a bit about how how where Sega Dreamcast actually falls into the generation when we get into the history in regards to my memories i i have really one clear memory of the sega dreamcast and that's going to a toys r us and playing the demo console of sonic adventure 2 on the sega dreamcast and just being blown away by a 3d sonic game because if if you think about seth and i we grew up playing 2d sonic games and the closest we ever got to a 3d sonic game was sonic 3d blast for the sega genesis which isn't really a 3d game it's an isometric fake 3d so this was the first First time tiny zack was seeing real 3d sonic and it was like whoa this is the best graphics we'll ever get um and you could like jump on rails and you can pick things up and you could throw things um and at one point you're getting chased by this massive truck that was coming at you it was a astounding experience to 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 have as a kid and i remember immediately the first thing i did when i got home and this was probably in the middle of like july is i wrote my christmas list and i put the sega dreamcast down as one of the things i wanted for christmas and i'm pretty sure at one point it got to the point where i like erased everything off my list and like circled sega dreamcast because i really wanted that spoiler alert i did not get a sega dreamcast for christmas <laughs> we did not have, maybe you got the ed 64 uh well eventually we got the gamecube and that was a f- effectively a better dreamcast <laughs> well right i was actually looking at that and yeah. i think i feel like my the dreamcast uh, people also had the gamecube which it, it just came out at a weird time yeah it's it definitely kind of got beat up on it, be, it got beat up coming and going essentially from Absolutely. the previous generation and the preceding generation i actually do have a dreamcast now um, I picked it up myself back around the time I was leaving high school, entering college because I wanted a Dreamcast. I always wanted a Dreamcast, so I got one. So I have been able to experience the Dreamcast for a bit. Uh, I played some of the games that are, you know, regarded as great games. We'll talk about those a little later. But yeah, I think now what we'll do is we'll get into the history of the Dreamcast. So the Sega Dreamcast was developed by Sega in 1998 and it was released in North America in 1999. And it is part of the sixth generation of video game consoles. Now, the sixth generation of video game consoles includes things like the PlayStation 2, the GameCube, and the Xbox. But if you're looking at the Sega Dreamcast's release date of 1998, it is the first one in this sixth generation of game consoles. So pretty much the rest of the gaming world at the time the Dreamcast came out was still in the fifth generation. The N64, the PlayStation 1, and, and the Saturn, <laughs> which were was the fifth generation. And the rest of the world was in this fifth generation when the Dreamcast came out. And and it's not and it's not like it didn't come out like just a little bit ahead of the fi- uh, the sixth generation. Yeah, it came out two years ahead of at least the PlayStation Two and three years ahead of the GameCube and the Xbox. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was a absolute like talking about ambition you know i I mentioned ambition when it came to no man's sky but the dreamcast is the embodiment of ambition it was this brand new venture from sega in in trying to reestablish themselves as the market name they wanted to be the home like video game system they wanted to at this time in the 90s if someone says video games they say nintendo sega wanted to stop that they wanted you to say video games and you to think dreamcast so the dreamcast started out in the earliest of days 
phase in 95. And during this time, Sega was pushing the Saturn out. And the Sega Saturn was doing terribly, mostly in the international markets due to poor marketing on part of Sega. So what happened was Sega of America was releasing the Sega 32X add-on for the Genesis. Sega of Japan was releasing the Sega Saturn, and there was no communication between those two markets. So Sega of America did not advertise the Saturn. But when the Saturn came out, it was like, oh no, we got to advertise this thing and get it sold. And the market was confused because they're like, why do we need a 32-bit video game system when we just bought a 32-bit add-on for your video game system? It was, it was a total mess. And that caused the Saturn to tank in international sales. So Sega needed an answer to this. Sega needed to fix this. And they started getting in talks with some companies such as the 3DO company, Panasonic, which at the time was known as Matsuhita, and Lockheed Martin of all people. <laughs> the, the like missile that development. Been interesting. <laughs> that would have been an interesting Dreamcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Sega Dreamcast that could fire Tomahawks, you know? They, they were looking to develop a 64-bit graphics processing unit. And while the development of this device that they were looking at really wasn't totally related to the Dreamcast, it actually does show that Sega was at least considering ways to surpass the lackluster sales of the Saturn fairly early in even the Saturn's international releases. I mean, the Saturn came out in around, I think it was 94 or so in international markets. So and Seth, I think I think Seth's confirming. It, you are right. came out uh, 94 in Japan, 95 in North America and uh, Europe. Okay, so yeah, this was this was the year that the Saturn came out, and they were already knowing that sales were down. So Sega needed something. So they got into talks with a company called 3DFX, which worked on the Voodoo chipset. And the Voodoo chipset, for PC gamers, no, it was a great graphics processing um, system that you could get for your compu- computers. They developed the Voodoo graphics card and the Voodoo 2, and Sega was hoping to develop a GPU with 3DFX. However, Sega found out that 3DFX was involved in development of another console at the time, um, which I actually couldn't find the name of what console they were potentially in talks with. So what Sega did was they cut all ties with 3DFX in terms of contracts. They then purchased 3DFX's technology to prevent them from working with competition. (laughs) So Sega closed the contract out, said, we're not working with you, bought their technology and said, and you're not working with anyone. (laughs) Just... FYI. Sega was well aware um, that the Saturn had been set back due to high production costs and the complex hardware, so they were kind of pushing for a lot of cost-effective measures to create this new system. They ended up working with NEC and um, working on their, I think it was the the, uh, PCVR chipset that they developed, and they ended up opting for something called the GD-ROM format, as opposed to the DVD-ROM format, because that was so early in development still that they didn't want to take any chances with this DVD-ROM format. Uh, They also opted to have their UI built off of a Windows distribution. It was Windows CE, a heavily modified version of that from Microsoft that Microsoft licensed to them. So they were really trying to cut, not necessarily cut corners, but they were trying to cut around the the issues that they saw with the Saturn in terms of high production costs. And overall, Sega only spent $80 million on hardware. And that might sound like a lot, but in comparison, they spent $200 million on software and $300 million on promotional material. So 
really the hardware component was a was a drop in the bucket for them as compared to the rest of the project total now the 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 hardware for the sega dreamcast was very unique you know it was it was built on this kind of new uh cd format that they had this gd rom format and an interesting thing that seth actually brought up was this thing called the vmu which was the memory card that acted also as a mini uh lcd screen so the vmu was cool when you plugged it into your controller it actually brought up some different things for each game that you were playing and when you took it out of your controller you could actually play some small mini games some of them were actually connected to the games that you had been playing that are in the save data of the games so um you know there are many games associated with sonic adventure sonic adventure 2 and in different items like that another thing that sega wanted to do was introduce this new idea of interconnectivity between um consoles so the 90s was the birth of the internet in many ways for for gaming and this was kind of the beginning of the the tech boom and the the internet boom that was really going to bleed into the 2000s and then pop um, just in the mid 2000s so what sega did was they put in a modem which was the first time that a video game system had a modem built into the system um you know video game systems in the past like even the nes and the and the sega had ways of getting connected to modems but you also often had to buy you know third-party adapters or adapters that were licensed from the companies but also with a bundled with a service this one was with it you know this one had the modem uh, and you just needed to get a subscription service that you can access the kind of dream online features and you're good to go and you could actually get a web browser for your dreamcast and the the online capabilities was really popular with something like fantasy star online which was this massive mmo that was developed um part of the fantasy star series and that became incredibly popular on the on the sega what's uh fun is that the uh vmu the the memory card as it were had 128 kilobytes of storage yeah small small little small little puppy very small probably decently sized at the time uh, the dreamcast um also had like very just inter- like fun stats like just looking at like the the cpu of it was only at 200 hertz, megahertz speed like it was like definitely i feel like if they released i wonder if they released the dreamcast instead of the saturn would we still would we then have another generation of sega after do you think sega would still be in the market today i think it's certainly possible i think with the missteps of the if if sega did not release the saturn and maybe did not release the 32x i think we very much could have had a um still we still could have seen sega last a little longer than they did sega was incredibly confident with their dreamcast system and they went forward with the launch uh they even despite the lag in sales that they were getting with the saturn which included a dramatic drop off of 75 percent a drop in half year profits just before the dreamcast launched sega didn't take the saturn's non-success as a indicator of how the dreamcast was going to perform they instead doubled down with their technology and brought the dreamcast to market the launch title was delayed which would be sonic adventure and that ended up being delayed for first few weeks and when a launch title is delayed when you launch the game the system that ends up being like your your timing's going to be off and you're not able to bring like the perfect product to market. The system launched in November of 1998 in Japan and by February had only sold 900,000 units. So from November to February, they moved 900,000 units. And then the system launched in 1999 over in the United States in 
around September, and the result was also lackluster. By the end of the year, the system had only sold 1.5 million units. And so that's pretty much the entire year of 99 and uh, the biggest season for 98. So I would classify a game console in the toy category, if I had to put it in a category. Mm -hmm. And a majority of the toy companies such as like hasbro mattel book 80 percent of their business to the last two weeks of every year so if you're if you launch a product november 1998 and you launch it november 27th 1998 i it is in japan which just christmas isn't that big of a holiday but they still got it before the christmas holiday season and then they launched in september in north america well before the christmas holiday shopping season and you still were only be able to sell 1.5 million units you're in trouble yeah Oh, yeah. Sega was experiencing terrible market losses now, both in the United States and the Japanese markets. And Sega of America president Peter Moore stated that the Dreamcast would need to sell 5 million units by the end of 2000 to become a viable system and to keep the company going. They sold three. In 2001, Sega announced the discontinuation of the Dreamcast as well as the company's restructuring as a third-party developer, meaning they were no longer going to be making consoles going forward. Many reasons are cited for the failure of Sega Dreamcast. Uh, those reasons are usually the lack of coherency between upper and management's view of the future, the hype that PlayStation was able to do for their PlayStation 2, which came out just a little bit after the Dreamcast came out. Sega also had poor management when it came to marketing for their systems, particularly on the, the Sega Saturn 32X and Sega CD, um, which also gave them a negative reputation in the space. Interestingly enough, the company 3DFX, who was Voodoo and did the Voodoo cards, went defunct in 2002. <laughs> also interesting, despite Sega discontinuing the Dreamcast in 2001, they actually supported repairs to the system up until around 2007. So you could officially get your Dreamcast service to buy Sega up to 2007. After 2007, they're like, no, 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 we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> What's interesting is that the game is classified as a sixth generation of video game consoles, but was discontinued in 2001. At the same point that the Xbox joined the sixth generation console yeah which the lifespan of the xbox went from 2001 to 2009 so the dreamcast starting the sixth generation in 1998 had a huge ramp that it just could not get off and and that shows based on it being around from 98 to 2001 so some really notable games, um, games that, you know, I, I've played or Seth have played for the Dreamcast uh, includes the Sonic Adventure games. So Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 were both released originally on the Sega Dreamcast. They're Sonic's first foray into the world of 3D platformers. Um, Sonic Adventure is kind of a softer reboot of sorts of the franchise. It reintroduces Sonic and Tails and Knuckles, and it puts them against the evil Dr. Eggman, or Robotnik if you're an American, um, who's trying to bring about the end of the world 
world through use of this creature known as Chaos, which is this big water creature that can use the Chaos Emeralds, which are effectively Sonic's Dragon Balls from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> he collects seven, they do magic things. Yes. Uh, the sequel, Sonic Adventure 2, which I think was more memorable for me as that was the demo that I played, introduces Shadow the Hedgehog. So Shadow is this genetic modified creature who's created by Robotnik's uh, grandfather, Gerald. And, <laughs> you know... Dr. Ivor Robotnik and his grandfather, Gerald. (laughs) I think both games are incredibly fun. They're fast-paced adventure games, and they were initially designed to be the killer app of the Dreamcast. Sega wanted these to be the reason you bought the Dreamcast. For some people, that was the case. It was ported to other systems, though, when the Dreamcast died, including the Nintendo GameCube, which is was wild, I remember, for me to learn about Sega shutting down, or shutting down its you know, first party, and then putting Sonic on a Nintendo system, it was like blasphemy, um, you know, back in back when I was little. Uh, now it's, you know, second hat. Sonic's on everything. But back then, it was such a weird, weird thing, you know? So wait, so his grandfather made Shadow. Yes. What did his dad do? That's what I want to know. I think his dad was just like middle management or something. Just like a like, guy, like a bureaucrat. Yeah, his dad probably was like like a mailman. <laughs> Maybe evilness skips a generation. I think so. I think so. Uh, another fun game that's on the Sega Dreamcast and also elsewhere is a game called Crazy Taxi. Crazy uh, Taxi. <laughs> Which was available on the Dreamcast, though was first launched, released in arcade cabinets. Uh, it's an open world racing game developed by the team Hitmaker. Crazy Taxi was first put out on to arcade cabinets, but uh, had a very well received port to the Dreamcast. Uh, the main objective is different than your normal racing game. In Crazy Taxi, you actually have to pick up customers and then drop them off at their chosen destination as quickly as possible. Uh, the game's a lot of fun and has a great soundtrack that includes songs from bands like Offspring and Bad Religion. Uh, the game was also involved in a lawsuit when Sega sued Fox and EA and Radical entertainment for their game simpsons road rage which was very similar to crazy taxi except was licensed simpsons products it was so similar in fact that sega found it to be patent infringement not just like (laughs) that's how similar it was they didn't cheat on their homework they just took it they just they photocopied the homework yeah. and, put them, and put the simpsons in it so which yeah. is a pretty strong they license just, they just drew homer on top of homework what ended up happening from my understanding is it was settled out of court um fox paid sega an undisclosed amount of money to allow them to continue selling road rage however um sega did see a, a profit from or a, por- a portion of the profit from road rage yeah, there's enough wor- there's enough space in the world for m- fun racing games. I, I like that cr- Crazy Taxi. It kind of reminds me of uh, Midtown Madness, which is an older PC game. Oh, we, we owned it on the PC. Um, where it's just kind of like you're just driving around like a crazy person in the city. Yeah. Versus like racing or, you know, being on, contained to a track. Yeah. And Crazy Taxi, you also were racing against time versus racing against other cars and and you you also got some excellent commentary from your passenger as they got into your car because you were a crazy taxi driver yes um another game that was popular on the dreamcast was space channel 5 it was a music rhythm game that starred a reporter 
for the titular Space Channel 5. It's a it's a news channel in space, as the name suggests. And the, the reporter's name was Ulala. So Ulala uh, travels through different stages combating an alien race known as the Mor- Morolians? Morolians? And you do this through rhythm sections. So what happens is the game kind of plays like a Simon Says rhythm, where Ulala will do a set of movements, you repeat those set of movements, and it gets more complicated and complicated. And as you do those movements, there's combos that you can earn, which will in turn translate to Ulala shooting the monsters. So it, it has great music. It's very kind of like funky, psychedelic music. It was very heavily inspired by like 1970s disco and also like 50s futurism. So it's got kind of that really a uh, sleek chrome aesthetic to it. Fun fact, Michael Jackson appears in a cameo in the first game and is a prominent character in the second game. You actually have to rescue Michael Jackson in the second game from the aliens. And his name is Space Michael, which is a great name for Michael Jackson. <laughs> it is a great name for Michael Jackson. Another game is actually the third best selling game on the Sega Dreamcast, uh, selling right around f- 400,000 units was a game uh, called Seaman. It is a it's a, a unique game (laughs) (laughs) to say the least (laughs) with the name like that you end up playing this game where you have to raise a a carp which is a fish uh but the fish has a human face on it and you have to use a microphone which is an attachment that you have to buy for the sega dreamcast which was a, a dongle that had a teal microphone bulb that stuck out of it yeah it's kind of ugly looking (laughs) yeah you have to speak to it to your fish friend your sea man and uh help raise it and leonard nimoy provides the narration for the game uh it is uh strange (laughs) it's very strange (laughs) and was one of the and sold relatively well um in in japan alone it sold the four hundred thousand units at least <laughs> and so more <laughs> yeah. it was eventually ported onto the playstation 2 only in japan it uh also um you had to check on him every day yeah of, of real time like in real day you had to check on him or he died <laughs> yes yes he also was very mean to you um so i own a copy but i haven't gotten a chance to play it because um one thing my the internal clock of my Dreamcast does not work. Um, but the other problem is I don't have a microphone. So, uh, well, for the Dreamcast. So I, I've been pl- I have watched videos of people play Seaman. It is an experience. For one thing, the character of Seaman, I guess you could call him this this fish with a human face. He's kind of like angry all the time. Like he seems like someone who's very very sad with the state of the world, and you just have to kind of like coax him to do things. So if that's the experience you want, you got it. <laughs> you can buy a Sega Dreamcast microphone for $45 on eBay. I think I'm going to hit the thrift store and try to hunt for one first. (laughs) (laughs) But if you buy it before November, then we can play Seaman during Extra Life. Ooh. Ooh, tempting. All right. Well, I'll give it some thought. (laughs) So the next game and the, the last game that we'll talk about for this episode is... Shenmue. Now, Shenmue, I think, is a fascinating game. It was developed by Yu Suzuki, who created Virtual Fighter and Outrun. And Yu Suzuki had this kind of uh, mentality when it came to making video games, in the sense that he did not play video games. <laughs> 
So he made video games to tell the stories he wanted to tell or to do the things he wanted to do. He wasn't making video games that he would want to play because he never played them. So Shenmue is an open world action adventure game. And it was one of the first 3D open world games. This was before, you know, GTA 3. It incorporated a a day-night cycle. It had variable weather effects. The NPCs had daily schedules that they actually kept to and they would do different things throughout the day. There was interactive arcades and vending machines. You could actually go to an arcade and play a version of OutRun that's in the arcade in the game. So you could play... (laughs) (laughs) You can play a game inside of a game. Pretty cool. And there's also various other social simulation items. You could gamble. You could uh, get a job and, like, do, like, job things. I think you could actually get a job as a forklift driver, drive around a forklift and earn some money. The story primarily follows a young martial artist named Ryo Hazuki, who travels through 1980s Japan and China to pursue his father's killer. And that's the story. It's a very, like, straightforward story. But the game was incredibly ambitious, and it was plagued with development issues it it kind of went through its own development hell in terms of what uh yu suzuki wanted it ended up being one of the most expensive games ever made for the dreamcast and one of the most expensive games ever made but it has since gained a cult following it is actually fairly popular with people who are fans of the dreamcast but also people who are fans of kind of that style of action adventure game it did see a sequel that was released initially in japan only on the dreamcast but then ported over to the xbox for a America, and it saw a third sequel, which came out for the PS4, and I've heard is very bad. So that's some fun facts. <laughs> I think that's it for our Sega Dreamcast episode. Yeah. It, uh, that episode probably went on longer than the Dreamcast life cycle. Definitely did. It's a it's a fun system. I'm glad Zach owns it. We'll, uh, we'll try to put some games from the Dreamcast on deck. Yeah. For... Definitely at least Crazy Taxi. I have that and I have Sonic Adventure. Yeah. Do you have two controllers? No, but I can get one. Yeah. Like I could get, I can get a second one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have one controller. Whoa. (laughs) So yeah, we'll try to put those onto our, um, at least during our extra, we'll put that into our extra life deck of things to do. Now we're going to talk about games that other people think are bad, and we are going to tell you if we think is the game really that bad. The game that I'm going to talk about today is a game that I really enjoy and is part of the trilogy that is relatively close to my heart, not as close as XCOM, but pretty close, and that is Mafia 2, the Definitive Edition. So uh, Mafia 2, the Definitive Edition is a uh, mixed-reviewed game, and it came out May 19th, 2020, and was done by Hangar 13 and D3T. It is a remaster of Mafia 2. The Mafia series is uh, three mob stories told from three different eras and three different people. The first game tells a, a very traditional Mafia story uh, starring this guy by the name of Tommy Angelo. And then the second one tells the story of a guy named Vito. And the third one tells the story of a guy named Lincoln. And Tommy's and Vito's story take place in essentially New York. It's uh, Empire City, which I always get confused with Liberty City, which is Grand Theft Auto. But Empire City is (laughs) Mafia New York. And then the Lincoln story is told essentially in New Orleans. They each cover kind of a a different mob story. Vito's is, which would be Mafia 2, is where uh, a war veteran of World War II comes back from the war and ends up trying to help his mom and his sister 
sister who, because his father left them a lot of debts by getting work and ends up just hitting up his friend Joe and getting quote unquote work, which is just mob work and a mob story ensues. So I played it when it came out originally back in 2010. So about 10 years ago now, if you're listening to this recording in 2020. And the game, the definitive edition came in 2020. So it's a 10 year remaster. So the issues that why it's on why we're talking about it in this segment is because a lot of people don't believe that the remaster really lived up to the hype of it being remastered. And that was it being actually a quality remaster and it actually has like game breaking bugs weird graphical things that happen in the game it doesn't even run properly on modern consoles it's not very good for a remaster (laughs) (laughs) right Um, like the whole point of the remaster is to get it to run on modern consoles and it doesn't it it chugs the the game it was also a 2010 game and wasn't like bad graphics for that era like i could go back and play the classic edition and i don't really feel the difference between the remastered and the original classic game the big difference though for me personally is that mafia 2 the definitive edition is bloated so the classic mafia 2 game takes up 7.85 gigabytes of data mafia 2 definitive edition takes up 45. So that's six times larger than Mafia 2. In my opinion, only about 15% better when it comes to graphics. Like, it's it's not giving me six times a better experience. It's, it's giving me, like, a... If the game doesn't crash, a moderately better experience. Like, it's not even... Eh. So is it really that bad? So the Mafia series, in my opinion... If you go from Mafia 1 to Mafia 3, it actually, based on the gameplay, trends kind of down. So Mafia 1 is very self-contained into the story, and it's a good story. It's a good Bob story. Mafia 2 starts adding in some side things and has a decent mob story. Mafia 3 has a very interesting and cool mob story, but bogs it down with a bunch of fetch quests and like monotonous tasks that you have to do over and over and over again to progress the story. So like if they took out a lot of the fetch quest, this is not about Mafia 3, but um, Mafia 2 is, it's a pretty good mob game. I personally don't think that the definitive edition is that bad. I've played about 14 hours of the definitive edition. I didn't encounter anything drastic, but I just also didn't feel that the game was like super polished. So it's not it's not that bad. So it is is it really that bad? No, it's not. It's it's a good game. I honestly it's unfortunate because the definitive edition also now prevents you from buying the classic edition. Uh, so you might be able to still get the classic edition on GOG because GOG is weird and separates their games out differently than steam does but on steam you can't get the classic edition anymore which generally ran for like five bucks on sale so now you're going to be paying thirty dollars to play a game that's my recommendation is if you want to play a good mafia game wait till they release the remastered of mafia one which it sounds like they're actually taking their time and doing hopefully right and then 
see that. But don't worry if you still are um, unworry if you're worried. Um, I will be picking up Mafia One Remastered, so I'll play it and give you my opinion on it on a future episode. Uh, so my is it really that bad? Is uh, a game that actually came out not too long ago. It's Star Wars Battlefront Two, released in 2017, uh, released by EA Dice. Star Wars Battlefront 2, at least the 2017 version, is the sequel to the 2015 reboot of the Battlefront series. The original Battlefront series came out in the early 2000s for PC and PlayStation 2 and the like. So Battlefront 2 is probably something that a lot of people have heard about in terms of why it would be on a, is it really that bad. It was massive criticism when it was released. So before I get into all that, just to describe Battlefront 2, you 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 are playing through battles in Star Wars. You're playing as either Imperials, Rebels, the Resistance, the First Order, the old the republic or the um confederate uh, the confederacy the cis um the battle droids you go through battles like that fairly straightforward most it's multiplayer there is a single player component it's actually canon to the star wars universe it follows Iden verso who is a uh, tie fighter elite pilot for the imperials and she kind of becomes disheartened by the attitude of the empire during the immediate aftermath of the second death star's explosion kind of seeing what the empire really stands for as they start entering into this contingency of destroying their their different occupied worlds so she becomes very uh disheartened and kind of disillusioned from what she knew as the empire and joins the rebellion spoiler alert um but i figured people could kind of figure that plot out from a star wars game though what however battlefront joins the rebellion yeah i know surprising right (laughs) the rebellion happens and lando's in it it's great (laughs) so let's just give a thumbs up because he loves lando so battlefront 2 saw widespread criticism upon release it actually at one point had a metacritic rating of (laughs) 0.5 it it wasn't battlefront 2 was also uh the game that had the distinct the distinct honor of being the most negative uh downvoted post on reddit yes um so there was a post on reddit that from ea that actually explained some of their reasoning behind a lot of issues that people took with the game and it was downvoted into oblivion it also got on the radar of the federal government uh there there was uh, acts in in congress that were looking to address the issues of battlefront and, and almost took down the this whole concept of microtransactions on a a federal level so this was a big deal and and to kind of stop beating around the bush the major issue was in the loot box system so battlefront 2 had this loot box system that was effectively gambling when you played the game you earned these points that allowed you to get loot boxes but you could also buy loot boxes with money real money and these loot boxes were random so you would purchase maybe a, a couple of uh loot boxes for maybe 10 bucks and you had no idea what was in them you know and you could spend more money and you would get more loot boxes but you would never know what was inside those loot boxes you were effectively gambling and it wasn't just aesthetics you this isn't like Fortnite or or overwatch where you're getting like uh skins and stuff for your characters these were things like auto locking and like or darth vader or or yeah or getting heroes that were substantially better than the f- heroes that were available to the people who paid for the game initially so it was broken that was the thing the loot box system was broken and people attacked it 
and they just hated it and with good reason i i i played battlefront 2 in the early days when the loot box system was still pretty nasty and i will say it wasn't as bad for me but it was still bad in the sense that i would get into a game and i'm not a good multiplayer gamer but i wouldn't last two minutes because people would already have like darth vader unlocked in the first 10 seconds which yeah, you, the, you shouldn't the, the be entire able map, to do yeah the entire map would just be darth vader's and boba fett's <laughs> it, it was it, it was a disaster so ea decided all right we're gonna listen to fans which was something no one expected them to say and they took away the microtransactions at first and then they decided to revamp them so now in battlefront there is no uh kind of like game breaking type of loot box situation you can get there are still loot boxes but they are pretty much only aesthetics um skins it's uh taunts stuff like that so after that the question now is it really that bad is no <laughs> it's great i i love battlefront 2 um i think it has a great single player storyline again it's cool that the storyline is canon and it does actually set up some stuff that is referenced in the in the sequel movies specifically not to give too much away but there's a luke skywalker segment you play as luke and you pick up this compass uh, from the imp- empire emperor's old uh storage facility that he has and that compass is actually in luke's uh home on octu in last jedi nice little you know callback there nice little reference that they they included so it's kind of cool to see stuff like that happen and really since it was updated i think i think it's a solid game i i think it's probably one of the better star wars games that's have come out in the past few years and there have been a lot of changes that have been done that have only been for the better including they offered for a period of time a free dlc season every few every few months or so so they would offer Uh, free updates that would add some more heroes to the games would add more maps and actually added some more game modes such as the ever classic instant action single uh offline single player game mode is it really that bad absolutely not if you were playing it though when it came out definitely (laughs) that's fair so um with that i would say uh we have our that's at the end of our show that's our show with the sega dreamcast that is that Um, is um i think seth do i hear the sound of rustling of paper oh is, that's is, right is there is there I, I think there's paper in a hat right now we, we do still do a we do still do a, a giveaway so uh hold on we're gonna we're gonna get our our hat here because it's giveaway time and the award goes to seth wow oh, me it's me <laughs> i'm sorry no it's uh, the person who wins for this week's giveaway is uh, David. David, uh, we've uh, emailed you and you can choose from our list of games and you will be able to grab a game from that list. And remember, if you also want to um, win a free game, uh, you can write to us and we will send you a list of games that you can choose from. They are predominantly Steam games and... They may not be good games, but we we have a list of games. So, and we we are updating it relatively regularly. So send us an email. Uh, and to do that, there's a few ways where you can contact us, listen to us, and support us. Zach, do you want to take take that away? Yeah. So let's let me talk about the ways that you can contact us, listen to us, and support us. All right. So contacting us. Here's what you do. You get on your internet right now you're going to load up your CompuServe email and you're going to say classic gaming brothers at gmail.com for your two field and in your subject line you want to say hey brothers and in the actual body of the paragraph you're going to say hey brothers love your podcast here are my comments 
And then you're going to put in your comments. That's great. It's an easy way to do it. Look at that. I just wrote the email for you. And then you just press send and look at you're already in the running for a free game. That's awesome. Do it right now. Uh, unless you're driving. Don't do it right now if you're driving. We don't want it to cause... Classic Gaming Brothers does not endorse car accidents. Another way you can contact us if you go through our website's email form. Spoiler alert, it goes right to our inbox. But in any case, you can go on to our website. You can fill out the email form, plug in all your information, and bam! Like the magic of the internet, your message will be in our pockets. You could also get in touch with us through our various social media channels. We have a facebook we have an instagram we have a twitter those facebook's and those instagrams are classic gaming brothers and that twitter is cg brothers pod follow us like us and ring those bells in order to get all the latest classic gaming brothers information including a update whenever we are streaming on twitch that's right we have a twitch channel classic gaming brothers twitch we also uh have a a vs classic gaming brothers which is our kind of side channel where um, sometimes i'll stream my side of the story i guess you could say um when seth and i are playing a multiplayer game together yeah so subscribe to us there you can we do not have a schedule period so uh tune in when we are when we are alive uh we we are planning to do some stuff for extra life though so that should be fun that's that's in november so we we do have an extra life team it's called the classic gaming brothers it's on if you go to the extra life website you can uh you can donate it's not to us it's to charity <laughs> yes uh, yes yes this is um, like a patreon we're we're raising we're raising money for uh, children in that need. is the yep children in need well not the charity children in need we're raising money no. for children's hospitals children's hospitals uh, yes yeah. who are in need but yeah so there's the extra life team if you if you want to join us and raise money as well you can join our extra life team as well so if you're a, I mean, I mean, you could be anybody. If you're a content creator or not, you can join our Extra Life team. Just sign up. Just someone that likes doing things and helping people. Uh, so let's say now you want to support us. Maybe you, you want to give the Classic Gaming Brothers money. <laughs> well, uh, the one way you could do that is, well, you could buy some of our merch. It's not necessary. We're not, we're not actually that... It, we don't really care if you do or, or don't. We do have merch that's available, though. It is on our website. We also really could use your help in one major way, and that is telling three friends. Seth noted that we forgot to say that in the last episode, so I am making sure we say that now. Tell three friends. Tell three friends of Classic Gaming Brothers, because if you like something, you tell three. If you don't like something, you tell more. Uh, so tell three friends, and uh, that's really, that is the best way to support the Classic Gaming Brothers, is to get the word out, let people know that you love the pod and also let us know you love the pod we really like to hear from fans we really like to hear from people who are interested in talking to us if you have any critiques or criticisms please let us know um you know that's how we learn to grow that's how we learn to improve is by the fans telling us that what we're doing is absolutely wrong uh if you want to listen to us there's also plenty of ways to do it if you want to really download any podcasting application that's out there and i'm talking about Castbox, pandora um iHeartRadio, I think, right? We're on everything. Literally. We I think we just got added to Pandora a few a few weeks ago at this point. Um so uh yeah, and we're always being added to stuff. It's great. Um if there's an application out there that we are not on that you would like to see us on, let us know. We'll try our our darndest to get on it. Um uh, and that's a classic gaming promise, as I like to call them. So that covers it. I think I think that's uh let's see. I talked about getting in contact with us. I talked about supporting us and I talked about listening to us uh so those the three major things you can do contact us 
support us and listen. Or 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 I like to say the three main main things you could do: listen to us, listen to us, and listen to us. So yeah, um, that will do it. I think for today. Uh, congratulations, David, on the on the on the successful uh, hat drawing. <laughs> we'll be in. We'll be in touch. We will be in touch, or have already been in touch. Ooh, time is weird in the podcast dimension. Seth, do you have anything you want to add? Don't play games like my brother, and don't play games like my brother. I've been I've, Zach, and I've been Seth, and we've <laughs> been the classic gaming brothers. <laughs> that's that's right. right. Did you did you know that there was going to be a PC version? Of Seaman for Microsoft Windows. What? With uh. the Seaman being able to interact with user applications. Oh my gosh. I want him to like eat Excel. It was it was canceled. <sighs> you know what would be great Seaman for Zoom meetings? They <laughs> somebody reviewed it and said that the gentle art of conversation meets Resident Evil. And Dreamcast gets its most bizarre title ever. Excellent. I'm going to try to find some uh, audio from Seaman, specifically of Leonard Nimoy talking. Welcome to the laboratory of Jean-Paul Gasset. Greetings, and welcome back. You're doing a good job.